May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday was the birthday of the celebrated poet W.H. Auden. And had he not died, he would have been 114 years old last Sunday. And Auden's work habits were simple. He started the morning with a strong cup of coffee and with some toast. Then he smoked cigarettes while he did the New York Times crossword puzzle, which I bet he did quickly. And then he read the obituary. Now after that, he went to his desk and he started writing. One morning, after folding up the obituary section, having just appraised himself of those who had shuffled off the mortal coil, he stubbed out his cigarette butt, straightened his tie, and wrote these words from his masterpiece for the time being. He wrote, we who must die demand a miracle. Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. Now you've likely heard that Auden quote before in some Christchurch context. It's one of our favorites because it gives poetic a language to Bible truth. And the Bible truth uh, served up this second Sunday of Lent uh, comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, which Ellie just read. And in it, Paul speaks about Abraham's and Sarah's extreme old age and their yet unfulfilled hope for a child. In fact, the child was more than just a hope. Uh, the child, an heir, had been directly and specifically promised to them by God himself. I love the vivid language that Paul uses here to describe the situation of an ancient Abraham and ancient Sarah. Abraham, quote, consider his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old. He also considered, quote, the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That's graphic language. The Bible apparently is not squeamish about the sex lives of people on the cusp of being centenarians. So despite all the evidence, despite all the crushing experience, despite all the physical bodily deterioration, Despite all the decades of unfulfilled promise, despite the layer upon layer upon layer of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, Abraham, the Bible tells us, hoped against hope. Hope against hope. That's a strong phrase, isn't it? How on earth could he after all he'd been through, still hope even against hope. Well, he hoped against hope for one reason and for one reason alone. Abraham hoped against hope because he knew he was in the, as what the Bible says, the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I mean, do you hear how powerful those words are? Gives life to the dead 
putting your trust entirely in a God who brings into existence the things that do not yet exist? Well, I wonder if we can move from Bible language to your life. I wonder if you've been there before. I wonder if you're there now. I wonder if, if you've been to a place in your life where you have been bereft of any way forward in your marriage or maybe in your singleness, in your career or in your lack of a career, with your young children, when all you want to do when you wake up in the morning is just get to the end of the day so they can go back to bed and you can pour a glass of wine. Maybe just your life in general, where the monotony of days piles up one on top of the other until those days become walls that have hemmed you in on four sides. You know the descriptors of this place I'm talking about. All options exhausted. Every idea tried and found wanting. Brick wall, dead end. No gas left in the tank. When all hope is gone. Or in Abraham's case, quote, as good as dead. Now here's a question that I want to pose to you in this sermon, this morning or whenever you're listening to this sermon or watching this, this video. I wonder when you get to this place, is this a bad place to be? One would seem to think that the answer is obviously, yes, it's a bad place to be. But I would like to ask us, is it maybe, just maybe, just possibly, a good place to be? At least a good place to be from God's perspective. Like much of the world, I've been thinking about and praying for Tiger Woods this week. Praying that he has the time and the space to fully recover uh, from his horrific car crash and the wounds in his leg and elsewhere, perhaps. The recent HBO documentary on Tiger, uh, it's so deeply compelling, I really recommend it to you. It's even for those who dislike Tiger or who have disliked Tiger for his aloofness, his seemingly mechanical victories, uh, his well-documented uh, exploits. <laughs> well, you had to be moved to compassion by what this man has been through in his life, a child prodigy in the national spotlight he, since he appeared on television at two years old with a golf club in his hand. Intense pressure from his father, global scrutiny, everybody's expectations on his shoulders, and a ridiculously prodigious talent, and with all the attending pressure that goes along with such a rare gift. Now that pressure to produce was described by baseball agent Scott Boris on a podcast that he did with basketball coach Steve Kerr and football coach Steve, uh, Pete Carroll uh, about a year ago, speaking about working with extremely gifted athletes like Tiger. Uh, Boris said this, they know it, they feel it, they have expectations, and then they have a dedication to it. And often they have an edge, and that edge causes really a lot of issues in their lives because there is fear that goes with it. And the greatest fear is 
I've got to be what I should be. I've got to be that guy I should be. And that wears them out. Because once they have the great season, the most difficult season is always the next season because the expectation, the ease of their performance and the brilliance that the fans see, it's like they should be able to give it and give it every day. And there's almost an internal anger about what they have to do to go through to repeat that greatness. Now, obviously, you are not Tiger Woods, and I am not Tiger Woods, nor are we like Tiger Woods. But you don't have to possess prodigious gifts to understand the pressure to produce. You don't have to be on the world stage to understand the gap between what is expected of you and what you actually are. The gap of this high expectation, the reality that you are in fact right down here. Now, that gap, it's filled with pretense, it's filled with anxiety, it's filled with anger, as Boris said, and it's filled with pain. And all you can seem to do is mind the gap. So back to my next, my, my original question. What if life, or even God, brings you to a place where that gap doesn't exist? And not because you've achieved the top, which, remember, always demands a next season, but because you're at the bottom, you are as good as dead. What if you are brought to a place where you can honestly say, I, who must demand a miracle, for nothing can save me, that is possible. Now Luther reminded us that we must be brought to a place of despair in ourselves before we are ready to receive the grace of God. Then and there, then and there, you are ready to believe in a God that calls into existence the things that do not yet exist. Then and there, when nothing possible can save you, are you ready to believe in a God who gives life to a dead, the dead? As our friend John Zoll says, faith begins at the place where your personal power ends. And again, might that, in fact, be a good place to be? Because you know what? That is exactly what God did. Not only did he give Abraham and Sarah a son, raising life from the dead, bringing into existence that which didn't exist, but he also gave up his only son. Jesus was not as good as dead. Jesus was dead. Nothing possible could save him. And then the miracle happened. Up from the grave, Jesus arose 
The walls came tumbling down. The gap is gone forever. As Paul says in our passage, Jesus was handed over to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Who you actually are through Christ is who you actually are free to be. I'm going to close this sermon with a prayer. Let us pray. Bring us, dear Lord, to that place, to a place of real belief in you. For you alone are the God who calls into existence in our own lives those things that do not exist. And you are the God who gives life to the dead. Amen.